0: Uh, We are starting a new two-part series today uh, on mitzvos and midos of Ben Adam Lechavero. And the truth is that this is a little bit of a curveball, a little bit of a change-up from the style of shurim that we had been given the last month, which were straight halacha. Uh, But I think it's good. I like uh, like the variety, unless you all vote with your feet and don't come back next week. Uh, But I like the variety not only in style, but also in topics. And in my mind, at least over the course of the year... I'd love to intersperse you know, things of machshava or midos also with uh, some of the halacha that we're giving. So for the two-part series, I thought I would choose two things which aren't identical, obviously, but are, I think, complementary to one another. And the first one, which is today's year, is about chesed, about what we do for other people. Uh, And then Mir Shem next week's shir will be about empathy or what is called in uh, rabbinic Hebrew nosei ba'ol im which is not as much necessarily although obviously this is what we'll talk about next week about what we give to other people as much as how we feel towards other people, or what our attitude is uh, towards uh, other people. So uh, I hope that, Emir HaShem, these two shurim will provide uh, a lot of intellectual stimulation, but like all of our shurim, I hope there will be uh, spiritual inspiration uh, and guidance as well. So what I'd like to speak about today uh, is a deeper understanding of the nature of chesed and why chesed is so important. Um, If you don't have a source sheet, please sit next to somebody who does. And of course, if you get to sit to the table, then you for sure get a a source sheet. Okay. Anyway, so if you take a look at your source sheet, let's start with a few sources, uh, some of which are familiar to you, perhaps one or so are not, which just underscore, I think, in a very dramatic way, uh, the importance of chesed. This is, I think, you know, as a kind of... uh, final word of introduction, something that is true in many areas of life, but I think it is also true in Torah, or in Judaism, in Yiddishkeit, and that is the more familiar we are with something, over time the less we appreciate it, a certain paradox, right, we just take things for granted, so the very fact that we're familiar with these things doesn't mean that we don't need to review them or look at them with fresh eyes, because on the contrary, uh, the fact that we're familiar with them sometimes dulls our senses in terms of the importance. So... First of all, let's start with the world-famous Mishnah in Perkei This may be the single most famous source that references uh, Gemilas chasad or doing acts of Chasad, And that is right in the beginning of Perkei where Shemana tells us that the world stands on three things. Ashloche Devarim HaOlam Torah, Avoda, which is usually understood as Davening, Tefillah, and for our purposes, Gemilas Chasadim. So that's an amazing thing. Again, since we've known this our whole lives, we kind of are numb to it already. But if you actually take a step back, and this is the first time you ever heard it, it's a pretty dramatic statement, right? You think about from a, you know, this is not a secular humanist writing. Right? This is a, a religious, rabbinic text. When we think of religion, we temp- usually think of ritual, especially from the time of the Mishnah, we're thinking about the temple based on Mikdash, that kind of, you know, sacrifices and icons and things like that. And yet, the Mishnah is telling us that, yes, those things are important. Torah study is important. Ritual, davening, avoda, yes, but... Equal measure, the world stands on three things. It's a tripod and, you know, you've, you've, the whole purpose of a tripod is if you remove any of the legs, the whole world comes crashing down. And one of those three, says the Mishnah, is Gimilas Chesed. So why is that the case? So the Bartonur and others make the obvious point that presumably Reb uh, Natsadik learned this based on Apostolic and Tehillim which is also very, very famous. In fact, I don't know if it's called status, I'm not sure what the right word is, but I know in my profile on WhatsApp, my son, the 15-year-old Aaron, he wrote these words on the thing. Now, he's trying to make me look better than I am, but it does reflect a little bit about his wonderful midos. But the pasuk in Tehillim, source number two, olam chesed yibaneh right we're living in a new community we think about you know in israel you know the national bird is the crane we're constantly thinking about building and construction and kablanim and uh, building materials and all this stuff right so how do you build the world and the answer isn't with necessarily israeli kablanim that's for sure not um but how do you build the world the answer is not with necessarily concrete bricks and mortar that's how you build the superficial part of the world but ultimately the building material for the world says David it's chesed. Olam, chesed yibana. That's how you build the world. That's the construction of the world. And therefore, it's not a surprise. It's just a rabbinic extension of that, that the Mishnah in Prak says that it's one of the three things that upholds the world. So that's number one, right? Just important laying the foundation. This is incredibly important. I guess I could say as a double entendre, it is the foundation of the world. But number three, in source number three, excuse me, is a text which may be less familiar to you. Uh, but I think it's incredibly important, and I think it's very, very telling. The Gemara and Soto, source number three, tells us the name of Rav Simlai. That if you think about it, the very first thing, or one of the first things we learn in the Torah, and one of the, the last things we learn in the Torah, have something in common, right? The beginning of the Torah, of course, is the creation story. What's the apex of the creation story? The creation of Adam and Chava. And what's the last thing we really learn about in the entire Torah? and we're like so tired and exhausted because of the Simchas Torah that we're reading it, but what actually happens at the end of the Chumash? Moshe dies. Okay? What could possibly be the connection between Adam and Chava, the birth of the world, and the death of Moshe, which is in many ways the exact opposite? So says the Gemara, in fact, no, in many ways they're the same. Why? Says the Gemara, source number three, where it's underlined, Torah, T'chilasa gimilas chasadim, V'sofa gimilas chasadim. What an unbelievably astute Observation by Rav Simlai. Yes, in terms of the content, the narrative of the story, they're very, very different. Thematically, one's about birth and life and new beginnings, another's about death and the end of a chapter, right? The greatest chapter, the life of Moshe. But on a deeper level, from God's perspective, it's actually the same theme. The Torah begins with chesed, and ends with chesed. How does it begin with chesed? So the Gemara quotes the Pasuk, u'li ishto, or v'yal Right? This is, of course, once they have been aware of their nakedness, and now all of a sudden they need to be dressed. And al Baruch Hu provides for them pretty basic and crude clothing, but that's all they needed at the time, and it's more than they had. And if you got nothing, a fig leaf is very good. So a tremendous chesed. All of a sudden they're humiliated, they're insecure, they're naked in the garden. And Hashem does an act of chesed for them. He provides them the ability to dress themselves, to clothe themselves. And says the Gemara, and how does the Torah end? As it says, V'kaber oso Sobagai. Who buried Moshe? Who was up there on the mountain with him? The answer is nobody. How come there was no body that everyone could find? The answer is because Hashem took care of the burial. Right? What greater chesed can there be to be involved in Heber Kedisha? HaKadosh Baruch Hu was involved in that initial Heber Kedisha. So on the one hand, you could just say if you have a literary eye, when the Lahav is you notice literary things and parallels in the Chumash, or maybe in general you like literary, you know, parallelisms and chiasmic something or others I learned in when I was in high school or something, right? Or you just like reading good stories. Okay, it's cute, you know, that the Gemara noticed this. I wouldn't notice noticed it on my own. But obviously, 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 that's not really the point. The point is much more fundamental. It's clear that what the Gemara is telling us is not just that coincidentally, from a narrative perspective, in the, in the beginning of the Torah, there's chesed, and in the end of the Torah, there's chesed. If that's all you think from this Gemara, then you miss the point. What the Gemara is really saying is, if the beginning and the end of the Torah are chesed, what does that tell you? That the whole Torah is chesed. From beginning to end, it's all about chesed. Sometimes more concentrated, sometimes less, sometimes more obviously, sometimes less. Uh, but, but nevertheless, by putting it as the beginning and in the end, and by noticing it, and by formulating it that way, what the Gemara is pointing out is something much more profound. That the essence of the entire Torah is chesed. It's the beginning and the end. It's everything. Source number four, even more obscure, uh, and more recent, relatively speaking, is from the Sefer Nefesh HaChaim. Some of you may have heard of it. Maybe some of you even learned Nefesh Hachayim. That is the famous treatise uh, by Rav Chaim Volozhiner, the famous uh, founder of the Velozhen Yeshiva, the student of the Velnagon. And it is you know, widely you know, learned in Yeshivas nowadays. Uh, I don't know how popular it is or isn't in seminaries, but I know in Yeshivas, in many circles, it is very, very popular, because a significant part of it focuses on the centrality of learning Torah. Okay, that's, you know, your two-second book review, uh, of the Nef But what interests me now is not what Rav Chaim Velazhener said, but what his son said. His son put out the book and an introduction, an introduction, his son who himself was his successor in the yeshiva and a great Tamil Chacham and rabbi in his own right, but his son writes the following. This is in source number four. Right? My father regularly chastised me. Right? So that's kind of soft parenting style that's popular now, apparently that wasn't the way we're ha- they were handling things in Beluzhin. right? My father would regularly chastise me. On what? That I came late to shul, that I was talking <laughs> with my friends, that I was out during the Haftorah, that maybe I didn't learn enough. No, no. What did my father regularly chastise me about? She'eneni mishtatef b'tzara dachrini. I didn't feel the pain of others. Now this, th- that part of the source would be equally at home in next week's year. But the reason I have it in today's year is because of what comes next. And by the way, you see her eye bold, the, on the sheet, it's bolded. That's because in the original, when I say the original, I mean in the, in the version of the book which I have at home, which is the most popular printing of Nefesh Haim. In the original, it's bolded and big, which you don't see typically in a Sefer from a few hundred years ago, that they had an and you know, That's like our Microsoft Word, you know, thing, you know, fonts and bold and italics. You don't usually see that in an old Sefer. But in the original, you know, he wanted to convey how important this is, and it's bolded. The Kohaya Debru, I guess you could say, Eli Tamid. And this is what my father would regularly tell me. Shizeh Kol Ha'adam. What is the essence of to be a human being? Ze Adam. What's the essence? Now we know what Kohella says about that, right? But that's not what Rav Lahnner says. What is the essence of a human being? What does it mean to be human? Ze Adam. Lola Atmo Nivra. You weren't created for yourself. It's not about you. Don't be selfish. la acharini. To do whatever you can to help another person. That is the essence of what it means to be a human being, presumably, therefore, also the essence of what it means to be a Jew. But he makes it, obviously, very universal. So if in the previous source, in source number three, we pointed out that the Gemara is telling us that the entire Torah, from beginning to end, is characterized by chesed. Chaim Velazher is teaching us not just the entire Torah, but the entire man. That's a capital M, obviously. Mankind, humanity. The essence of what it means to be a human being, a man or a woman, is not to live for yourself, but to do as much as you can for others. Sometimes you can't do. Sometimes, well, when, they, when they announce on the plane, is there a doctor on board, you don't remember all of a sudden, wait, Rechaim Belasher said, I've got to live for other people. I really want to sleep. I really want to watch the, um, the movie. But I says I have to live for other people. And anyway, my mom really wanted me to be a doctor Anyway. <laughs> Okay, I'll do it. I'll help. That's not what he's talking about. Right? Kechol asher b'kochol It has to be something you can actually do. Right? That's it has to be actually helpful. Someone knocks on your door. They may need $100,000 for the surgery. So you say, I can't do it. Okay, but you can give 20 shekels. You can give 100 shekels. You can give $100. Whatever you can do. Whether it's money, time, resources, or as he saw even in the opening sentence, again, we'll talk more about next week. Sometimes it's just empathy. You can't give anything but your heart. But whatever it is, that's already downriver. That's step two. The first step is the mentality, says Rechaim Elisha. It's not about me. I'm not here for myself. I'm here to do for others. right? And what we, broadly speaking, call do for others, what do we call that? Chesed. In all the different forms. So just right off the bat, I probably could have found other sources, but to me at least, you put these four sources together, a very powerful statement about the importance of chesed, foundation of the world, the entirety of Torah, embodies everything that it means to be a human being. Now I want to move to step two. And that is to focus uh, not on just the importance of chesed, but something that makes chesed unique vis-a-vis even other mitzvot. Not just in its importance, but in a certain more qualitative characteristic. Take a look at source number five, World famous, very powerful, very important uh, Pasuk uh, from Sefer Micha. If I'm not mistaken, and I think he listens to these shurim once they're uploaded on the internet, so maybe he'll tell me if I was. If I'm not mistaken, I believe more than once I've heard from my father, this is his favorite Pasuk in the entire Tanakh. Okay? So, shout out to Abba. But source number five says the Navi Micha. Higilicha Adam Matov Lamashem Doresh Mimcha. Let's, you know, Let's keep it simple. Our minds are cluttered. We live in a very busy. You know, we got, you know, in the last five minutes, we each got 20 WhatsApps. Like, we're always bombarded with information. We're busy. Sometimes we want people just keep it smooth. Tell me, what do you want from me? Let's cut out the clutter, the distractions. What, the Nabi says, does Hashem want from me? Be specific. Give me clear directions, and I'll do my best to do it. He says, this is very simple. I'll tell you what Hashem wants from you. Kiim. Just the following. Here's the critical things to do. Asos Mishpat. Be honest, be fair, be ethical. Okay. Ahavas chesed, love chesed. V'atznei aleches imalokecha. And be modest with how you walk with God. Which, by the way, is one of the multiple sources which certainly indicates that the idea of tznius is not only for women and not only about skirt lengths. This is a postage that's for everyone and has nothing to do with clothing. Tznius is a mentality. Okay, but that's not our topic today comes along the Chafetz Chaim in source number 6 and he notices there's an incongruity in the text. Right? If you were a Sesame Street fan in your younger years, one of these is not like the other. Right? On the one hand, it says, Asos Mishpat. Do practice ethical practices. You know, then drop down menu, you can fill in all the blanks how you do that. Asos mishpat. Walk modestly. So, between doing justice, being just, being ethical, and being or walking modestly, what would you have expected if there was a symmetry, if there was a parallel? What should it have said about chesed? Not a trick question. Be modest. About chesed, what should it have said about chesed? No, do, chesed. do chesed, exactly. Ligmol chesed, asos chesed, some verb, action-oriented thing. But that's not what the Navi said. The Rabbi doesn't say do chesed. The Rabbi says love chesed. Who told me I have to... Wow. I'm sure in life you have been told and maybe with your own children or maybe in work or other places you have told other people it's not always about what you enjoy doing. Certain things in life you just got to do. Why is it important? Evidently, it's not enough to do chesed; you have to love chesed. And this is the famous observation. Yeah, I assume other people noticed it, but it's famously uh, noticed and you know elaborated on by the Chavetz Chaim. Now, I think I may have mentioned this in the past. I think even last week's year, right? Did we talk about this? Right? You know, we have a a, a custom, uh, an instinct in Yiddishkeit. We refer to great rabbis by the names of their books. Right? I don't think this is something that they do. Uh, you know. Lahabdil, in whether it's in sports or music or other things, you know, I don't know, whatever. I'm not going to give examples, I'll embarrass myself. But the point is, we don't refer to just, sometimes we say Rabbi X, but a lot of times we just refer to them by the name of their book, right? So he isn't the Chavetz Chaim, right? We do know, right? When he was a little kid and he didn't put away the clothes, his mom didn't say Chavetz Chaim, you know, pick up, you know, you made a mess, clean it up, right? He was Yisrael Meir, he had a name, he was a real person. But over time, the book was so influential, he's known as the Chavetz Chaim. Now there's one of those few people, a short list, where he wasn't just the Chavetz he wrote other books that are really important, like the Mishnah Berurah. So it, again, it actually makes no sense to say the Mishnah Brura wrote the Chavetz Chaim. That is a totally unintelligible sentence unless you're Unzura, unless you're from, and then you know, then, you, then we know what we're talking about. But in any other context, the sentence makes no sense. Now it happens to me that those are his two most famous books. But he actually was a prolific writer. I think, if you have the collected works of the Chavetz Haim, I think it might even be up to 20, something like that, books that he wrote. So if my nomination for the third most famous book that he wrote would be Ahavas Chesed. He has an entire book, both in hashkafa and in a lot of Halacha, that discusses many of the aspects of Mitzvot B'Aram L'Chaveron. And he entitled the entire book Ahavas Chesed. And right in the beginning, in the first chapter, he makes this point. Umash Amar, as it says, we just read Avas chesed. And it does not say, Kim asos mishpat v'chesed, or something like that. The Navi, Micha, is teaching us something profound. And that is that even though he says, says the Chavetz Chaim, kula osim chesed, who doesn't do chesed? With our children, with our spouses, with our neighbors, sometimes with strangers, we all do chesed, who doesn't do chesed? However, says the Chavetz Chaim, in many cases, it's clearly not true about everybody, but it says in many cases, middle of the second line, we're doing it because either we feel a social pressure, or we actually have an actual obligation to do certain things. I, I have to do certain things for my spouse, I have to do certain things for my children, that's what it means to be married, that's what it means to, to be a parent. Or it's just out of habit or rote. But ain't osin tov Klal. But we're not necessarily doing it because we want to, because we identify with it, because we love it. Now, if you would have asked me, and more importantly than ask me, if you would have asked the Chaviskhayim before he read this Pasuk, what would you have thought? No problem. Asos Mishpat. doesn't say love Mishpat. You go to the store and you realize when you're in your car that they gave you too much change. Asos Mishpat. Do the right thing. Go back. But maybe you're disappointed. That's okay. True story. I'm embarrassed. I didn't even tell you this last night, Alana. I went last night. Mother's intuition. She talks to my son, the same one who played with my phone that I referred to before. They had a hard day. He, he, it would be good for him if you go, go to Yushalayim, take him out for dinner. He's a 15 year old, he dorms. they are ups and downs with that. Go take him out to dinner. He'll love that. So sure enough, we went out, in case anyone's interested, Ruben on Confe. Great restaurant, great restaurant. Um, anyway, while we're there, sure enough, people who we've been very close with from our shul in Baltimore are in Yushalayim now, and I see them. So, we said hello at the beginning of the meal. But I told them, you know, I need a special, some special time with my son. I can't, you know, I want to go. But at the end of our meal, we walked over to their table. We're schmoozing, catching up a little bit. Maybe we can get together as a couple that are here for a few weeks. All the usual stuff you would do when you see old friends. Five minutes later, we're in the car, in the underground garage, parking lot, pulling out. When all of a sudden I slam on the brakes. And I said, I, don't know, I can't believe it. I didn't pay. I totally walked out. And I could have gotten away with it. They had no clue. I totally walked out. No one said a word to me. So I pulled over, put on the flashlight, said, stay here. And I ran back to the restaurant, right over to the maitre d'. They hadn't even realized when I showed up, they hadn't even realized I had left and hadn't paid. Thank God they were busy last night. Now, did I love that? You know, it was like, over, it was like 200 something shekel. I could use that money for something else but asos mishpat I don't have to love it I have to do it be honest be ethical don't steal I would have thought it would be the same thing about chesed you don't have to love it but do it but that's not what the navi says the navi says not asos chesed but ahavas chesed says the Chavetz Chaim what do we see from this? where it underlines verse number six. That means to say, don't think just because yes, I know. If we're all being honest, it's frankly true. We all do chesed, even within our whole house, outside, but certainly even outside our house, but certainly inside our house, we're all doing chesed. Don't think that's enough. Ahava, lamida a tremendous chidrash of the Navi. This is the way, it's not to say true about other mitzvos. But when it comes to chesed, we have to work on ourselves. For some people it comes natural. There are people who are born givers. And other people that it doesn't come naturally to. Okay? But you have to work on it. Not only to do it, but then to enjoy it, to love it. And there is an unbelievable observation made by Ramosha Moshe Feinstein in source number seven that complements this. Let me ask you a question. Let's speculate on our own for a minute. Why should it be? Why should it be that there's a special advantage, mm-hmm. obligation, etc. to love chesed and not just to do it? So the most easy, obvious, intuitive answer, I would think, what's, the, what's gained? As they would say in the basement, why do I have to love it? Isn't it just matter that I did it? So what's gained by loving chesed? What do you say? You'll do more of it. Right? It's, again, it makes the most sense. right? And that's true, right? Now, I think that is true, 100%. I don't think it's sufficient as an answer for the simple reason that if that would be true, then we should say love every mitzvah because then you'll do all the mitzvahs more. Yeah? Maybe it's relationship, with the other one's mishpat is like... Okay, that's also good. So the connection it'll make to other people, we're going to get that later in this year. Excellent, okay? But using that as a background, let's just see what Rav Moshe Feinstein points out. Again, it's very intuitive... It's not like you're gonna be blown away over oh, Moshe finding so brilliant. It's a very simple idea. He was brilliant, by the way. But that's not but this is a very simple observation of Moshe, but he makes it in a very powerful way uh, that I think is very, very captivating and compelling. Just a few weeks ago in the Parsha, Avram had his brismila, he was an adult. It's the third day, which is traditionally the most painful day. And usually he would be running around doing Hatlas' orchem and welcoming guests to his tent. You know, he had the first, you know, Airbnb. You know, he was very excited to be helping everybody. And then what happens? He's in pain. But he's still out there. So Hashem says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it like Beit Shemesh in the summer. I'm going to make it uncharacteristically, brutally hot. And therefore, everyone's just going to shelter in place, as the saying goes. There aren't going to be people traveling back and forth in the desert. That way he'll be calm. We'll have an easy day. What happens? He's sitting there. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's Kachomayam. And there's nobody there. But instead of saying, oh, i get a day off, what happens? He's in pain. Rashi, Ramosha quotes this from the beginning of source number seven, the famous Rashi, you all know the Rashi. Avram was in pain that he couldn't do hachnas azorchem, that he couldn't do chesed. So he was in more pain from that than he was in his physical recuperation from his surgery. So what does Hashem do? He makes a miracle, three angels show up and he's able to do hachnas azorchem. Fine. Shkayach. Says Rav Moshe Feinstein, I don't understand, the middle of source number seven, third line. It doesn't actually make any sense. Avram's behavior is bizarre. One second. I understand, says Rav Moshe, if I have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, and for whatever reason, I can't do it. Imagine guests show up, and I have nothing to feed them. I'm not even meaning that I'm embarrassed about that. But instance, I want to do chesed, they're there, and I can't. You know, or I, it's time for, it's, it's sukkis, and I have no lulav. So I have a mitzvah, it's right there, have, it's in front of me, and I can't do it. So I understand. Now, certain people wouldn't care less. But if you're a spiritually refined person, let alone Avinu, and you have, and there's a mitzvah right there for you to do, and you can't do it, that would be upsetting. So I get that. But that's not what happened. In the beginning of the day, because Hashem's miracle with the sun and the heat, there were no guests. If there are no guests, there is no mitzvah. So what are you being upset about? says our motion, unbelievable mushel He says in the next phrase, this is comparable to a person. Source number seven, right in the middle. Uh, uh, hayom Fascinating it's Wednesday could you imagine a person it's around 11 o'clock 11.30 whenever it is you would say would typically have a Shabbos lunch and all of a sudden a person gets deeply emotionally almost physically in pain because oh it's not Shabbos I miss Kiddush I miss Lechem Mishnah I can't believe it oh I can't believe it's not Shabbos I can't believe I'm not making Kiddush Risa could you uh, mute yourself there I'm so sorry, I thought I was going to be there. It's okay, it's all good. We missed you. Anyway. Um, Could you imagine somebody right now in the middle of the week? He misses Kiddush. She misses the candles. They miss the challah. In the middle of the week. Would that be somebody who you would say is spiritually sensitive and amazing? Wow, on Tuesdays he or she misses Shabbos? I would. You know what I would say? That person is bizarre. <laughs> that person don't need a rabbi; they need a different kind of professional. That's weird, and Herb Moshe would agree. So, it says Herb Moshe, just like you don't miss Shabbos, you don't miss Kiddush. Now, for example, let's say a person, and let's say it's uh, hopefully you're you're in the hospital, or you're somehow stranded on a Shabbos, and therefore you can't make a Kiddush, or you are sitting there, you know, when my son was in the army, some of the Shabboses he had to have, and he misses a good. Okay, that makes sense because it's Shabbos. So I miss a good Shabbos then. But to miss Shabbos on Tuesday? That's weird. So what's Avram missing the mitzvah when there are no guests? So says of Moshe, what do you see from this? Excuse me, I skipped my wrong source. Excuse me. <laughs> end, of, end of source number seven. Says of Moshe, you know what the answer is? You know what the explanation of Avram is? that the mushal, the, com- the comparison we made to Shabbos, is inaccurate, it's flawed. When it comes to mitzvahs bein adam lamakom Shabbos, shofar, etc., etc., when you have a chance to do the mitzvah, you do it. When you don't have an obligation, there's no chance to do a mitzvah, you don't do it. Then you, then you feel bad about it. But when it comes to chesed, it's not enough just to do. You have to love chesed. And here's our Moshe's key point. What is the big nafkimina? What's the big impact of the mitzvah to love chesed, that therefore when you have no opportunity, now you do anything wrong, there are no guests, there's no one here to do chesed with, I'm not doing anything wrong, but since I love it, if I love something and I don't have it, then I miss it. usually gives a very, you know, basic, easy to understand example, which is I have a certain food that I love, a certain physical pleasure, and if I'm without it for too long, I miss it. But, I, an easier example, an even more powerful example to think about would be, especially, you know, in, in our stage of life, I think about this. Children, right? All of a sudden as you get older, your kids move out of the house. That, you know, we have had for the first time in, you know, over 20 years, a few different times over the last, you know, even a few weeks, few months, randomly, just the way it worked out. Even, forget days during the week. We've had Shabbos with no kids at home. Again, at some point we all get to that stage, right? You know, As the saying goes, uh, the only thing sadder than your kids leaving the house is if your kids can't leave the house. Right? At some point, that, that's what it's supposed to be. Kids are supposed to leave the house. That's healthy. But it doesn't mean you don't miss them. If you love them, you miss them. Even though it's good that this one's in yeshiva where they're supposed to be and this one's married where she's supposed to be. Of course. But if you love them, you want to be with them. Says Rav Moshe. If you love chesed, it's not about doing anything wrong or right. But if you love it, so you, you, you miss it when it's not there. That's another point. That's not just the importance the way we saw it holds up the world. I mean that's all true, but maybe that's a little too abstract, a little highfalutin for us. But here, what we're learning is we're supposed, to, we're intended, we're obligated, <laughs> frankly, to cultivate a sense of genuine feeling of obligation. But not only obligation, but of love, such that. And what's the litmus test? How do you know if you love Tzedek or not? If you have no opportunity to do it. Do you miss it? Again, I'm not saying any of us have to be or even can be Avraham Avinu. But there's a huge g- gap between being Avraham and not even caring, or even can't even remember the last time I did a chesed. And who cares? Yeah? Uh, I think, that, taken from the very first um, statement on the sources that we addressed, Olam Chesed Ivan oh it wasn't, it was the second one actually, Olam Chesed, I think that, Maybe we have an obligation to kind of address what that means. What does it mean that the world is established, that our world is supposed to be established on chesed? It's supposed to... to look, when we think, I mean, we if we Torah observant Jews, that doesn't really exempt us from thinking about, like, what is the meaning of... Our labs. and like, how do we build our labs? Yes. Apart from, <laughs> apart from having that we do. Yes, meditation. that's exactly the point of this year. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. We're yes. Actually, like and I day. get. I think that on a very rudimentary, crude level, you know, if you don't, if people don't do things for each other, literally, the world, you know, you just can't function as a society. But I think it's clear. It's absolutely clear uh, that we're talking about something much deeper than that. Our responsi- not, yeah our responsibilities, again, as I said from source number four, it's not just about ourselves. What life is about is looking towards other people. Again, this is not, there's nothing in our conversation today, and I don't want to get into it at all, because it would be a completely separate topic, how particularistic versus how universalistic our chesed has to be. This is just with other Jews, other from Jews. Are we supposed to care about the whole world? That's not my, That, that I'm not saying it's not there's an overlap, but I don't want to go in that direction. I don't want to talk about that right no, now. I'm not even talking about universalistic. But if you look at it in a way like functional families, functional communities, when people are actually happy, when there's like a, when things are functioning as they should, it is like the, there's a kind of symbiosis where you see that like actually the, the community and the family do care about the particular. Yes. There's, there's not yes. lost within. That yes, 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 yes. 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 I agree. I agree. Okay, that's a much broader phenomenon even than I'm just describing. I want to focus, just because it'll get too big otherwise, on the act of chesed. But I I don't disagree with you at all. I don't disagree with you at all. Okay, let's move on. I want to move on now to the final part of the shir. We have 20 minutes left. And I want to move on to a question, a very simple question. What is so important about chesed? And beyond the obvious practical benefits, and even the emotional benefits you just alluded to. You're happier when you're giving, and the family works better, everything works better. That's all true. But I want to, I think it's more powerful in a certain sense if we even think about it purely through a religious lens. Because again, I think it, it, it's a paradoxical because we usually are hardwired to think that when we think of religious and very religious and more religious, we always think in terms of ritual terms. But know, but to see religious language and religious text specifically focusing on the importance but different reasons why it's so important to do chesed, to me is very, 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 very powerful. And I think none of these things are going to contradict each other. I think there are multiple answers all of which are probably true, and they actually complement each other. So I, I want to really focus on one in particular, which we're going to get to, the last one, but let's run through a few, because I think they're equal, all of them are very, very important. So source number eight. This is the famous Mashiach from the Panovich of the Cheskel Levenstein. See, this is a called the Ori Cheskel, and one of the volumes is just on Midos. He points out something in source number eight. And again, we're trying to answer the question, this is going to be take us till the end of this year. What is so important about Chesed? What makes Chesed so unique, so powerful? His answer, source number eight, is... What, what's the basis of chesed? As we saw from the beginning of the Shir, as we saw from Rav Chaim Volojner, source number four. The basis of chesed is not only being narcissistic, not only looking inward, not just thinking about yourself, but looking outward. So says Rav Levenstein, source number eight, he takes that as a given. He says, but well, what's the benefit of that? Once you start looking outward, so first of all, you don't just think about yourself, you think about other people. Okay, that's, Intuitive and certainly very powerful. But he adds in source number eight once you start thinking about other people and caring about other people besides yourself, what an interesting insight he says. He says, the more you help other people, the more that will help you with Hashem. The more you think about other people and what they need and how you can help them, that actually brings to a deeper level of Amunah, of belief in a God. What's one got to do with the other? I can think that belief in God's good. I can think that helping other people are good. Why do they have to go together? We all know they don't always go together because lots of secular people who are very nice people and do lots of chesed. Chesed doesn't always lead to belief in God. But in what way could it if we are spiritually sensitive and attuned? Cesar Levinci in the following at the end of source number eight. What a fascinating insight. Again, it's not automatic. It's certainly not automatic in any stretch in my opinion. But if we're attuned to it, this could really happen, I think. And that is, the more we're thinking about what we can do for other people, the more, if we have a spiritual persona, the more we'll eventually realize what Hashem does for us. The more we realize that other people need, and we've had a z'chut to play a role in helping those people, the more we realize how blessed we are in life. And now, that doesn't... You don't skip the people in the middle. So we're blessed, and therefore we're appreciative of our parents, we're appreciative of our neighbors, we're appreciative of our spouse, or or, or, there are people who are Hashem's shlichim that have helped us. But his point is, the more you get out of yourself, it doesn't just take you to the other people who you A, can help or B, can benefit from, but once you have that mindset of not just being self-absorbed, it's natural for the neshama, what will it lead to? An appreciation of Hashem. So that's something that, to me I would never have expected. But I think it's very fascinating. He says the more you work on chesed, the more you think about other people, ultimately, slowly the water will seep down to the deeper levels of the soil. Eventually, it'll get to strengthen your belief in Hashem. Very fascinating. Source number nine, maybe even more famous. This is especially famous because they teach it usually in most of the seminaries, even though the yeshiva guys don't always know it, uh, even though I did read this, uh, but not because anyone taught it to me. When I was in yeshiva, like at late at night before I would go to sleep, I was just started reading Mihtam Eliyahu. So actually, I think I was 18 or 19 in yeshiva when I first came across this idea, but a very, very famous idea, and I think it's deservedly famous because I think it's profoundly insightful. Source number nine, this is Mihtam Eliyahu, the famous of Eliyahu Dessler, originally from Eastern Europe, then from England, and then eventually to Eretz Yisrael and to B'nei Brak. And in his classic uh, modern work of the Mikhtem Eliyahu, right in the first volume, he has a lengthy essay all about chesed, called Kuntras HaChesed. And the most famous insight of this essay is the following. And he asks the question right away in the beginning of source number nine. Very basic, but very important question. What's the chicken and what's the egg? I love people therefore I give to them, or I give to them, therefore I love them. So I think if, you know, if I woke up in the middle of the night and just asked a person, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I think most people would say, I love people, therefore I give them. I love my spouse, therefore I do for him or for her. I love my children, therefore I do for them. I love whoever, right? Because I love them, I want to do things for them. It's not that that's not true. It is true. But what his, his insight is that the deeper truth is the second option that the more we give, the more we love. In the middle of the second line, verse number nine, ki ha'adam et prima asav. Beher asher chelik, that's me, so. and ben, and he points out, it's not just with children, it could be if you're how come people love their dogs so much? How come people love their cats so much? I can't relate to that at all, personally. But there are people who are animal lovers. So it's not just they see a random animal on the street. Some people care about that too. But when it's your dog, when you, Right? And he talks, I didn't put it on the sheet, he talks about so Or you have your, your, your garden. How do people love their garden so much? So it's not just, again, you had to have a certain interest in whatever that is, pets or, or gardening, or else you wouldn't have done it in the first place. But why do you grow in that love? It's the same reason, as crazy as it sounds, that you love your kids so much. Because the more you give, the more you work, the more you contribute, the more you sacrifice for it's not just that you did that because you love it's the more you do that the more you love I, don't, I, I thought when I was preparing the source sheet I thought it was Rav Dasar, but then when I couldn't find it on the inside in this book someone reminded me I think I was conflating sources I think it's actually an inside of Rav Hirsch, but it's the same exact idea Rav Hirsch's observation that the Hebrew word for Ahava love comes from Hav to give I thought that was in Rav Dasar, but I couldn't find it and then I asked somebody where it was and I said oh I think that's actually only in reverse. okay but that's you know, for the people who care about those kind of things, those details. But the insight, I think, is profound. The more you give, the more you love, right? It's a classic uh, conundrum, right? Who loves who more? The parents love the children more, or the children love the parents more? Now you would think, if it's the way we use, you know, the kids who get who got more. Well, the kids get everything from their parents. Should they love their parents even more? OK, so uh, a few years ago, my kid did well on a test. I got nachas from him or her. And then once they got you know, a, a play and I got to see him or her perform, I got nachas that time. And, you know, they do they answer the partial questions. And I don't know, at, at the right age, they brought home a good spouse. I, I was happy about that, too. And they gave me eventually good grandchildren. We do get from our children, but not anywhere near what we give them. right? So you wouldn't think that the child should love more. He or she received more. But, of course, we all know that that's not true. You can't even compare the love of a child for a parent to the parent to the love that the parent has for the child. It's overwhelmingly more. Why? Cesar of Dessa, it's exactly this point. Because there's only so much a child can do for his or her parents. But there's endless things that parents can and do for their children. And the more you give, the more you love. So whereas source number eight. Oriy Cheskel is saying the more you do chesed that will help you get closer to Hashem Rav Dessler is teaching us a second complementary point the more you do for others the better you will and closer you will feel to them there's never going to be anyone like your children or in a close second your spouse but your neighbors your friends the rest of the Jewish people the more you do for them the more involved you're in chesed the greater your avas Yisrael will be that's the second reason why uh, chesed is so important Turn over the page, source number 10. Very, very well-known passage in the Rambam. Rambam is dealing with a famous philosophical, even ethical, you could say, quandary or dilemma. We all have finite funds. Of course, if the finite number is quite huge, so then this is a little bit less operative. But especially for those of us where the finite amount of funds we have is relatively modest. So you can only give so much charity. You can only give so much tzedakah. So ask the Rambam, if I have $100 to give, 100 shekel to give, Should I give a hundred poor people one shekel? Or should I give one person or one cause a hundred shekel? I just want to point out, if the one person is the shul, you should give it all to the shul. I just want to make that very clear. But hypothetically, but something else. Um, Do you give it to a hundred causes or to one? Now, if the question is where are you going to have the most impact, the answer is obvious. Somehow you got to pick one, but if you pick one and you gave a hundred... You did something. They could do something with that. What's a dollar going to do for anybody? Nothing. Even a poor person can't do anything with a dollar. It's nothing. A shekel, it's nothing. Five shekel, it's nothing. But says the Rambam, and this is going to take us to the end of this year, you're missing the point then. Because it's not just that chesed can bring you closer to Hashem, it's not just that chesed brings you to other people. The ultimate benefit of chesed, and the beneficiary of chesed, is yourself. Hence I titled the shi'er, the gift of giving. You're giving yourself the greatest gift. Says the Rambam, better to give a hundred people a dollar. Why? Because <coughs> even if each one of them didn't get an impact, that's on Hashem. Hashem will make sure that that poor person had enough to eat. Hashem will make sure that the shul has enough money to build. That's not your responsibility. You need to give as many times as possible because each time you give, you're perfecting yourself. You're turning yourself into a giver. The more you do, the better you become. It can't just, in the abstract, say, I want to be more giving. I want to be more compassionate. It doesn't work that way. That's not how we're hardwired as human beings. The more we do, says the Rambam, the more we become. And this is the key insight, says the Rambam, is chesed is only partially about the recipient. It's at least as much as about the doer or the giver. You're doing for yourself as much, if not more, as for other people. In source number 11, again, I don't have time to read it inside other than to make the key point, but in uh, one of the Sichot that was published by Rav Asher Weiss on Parshat Pahar, he points out, based on, you know, since we're running late, I won't uh, get into the Gemaras, but he points out that there seems to be an overlap of two Gemaras, both of which seem to say we should be imitating Hashem and therefore we should be doing things. But one of the Gemaras just talks about imitating who God is, the other Gemara talks about imitating who God, what God does. Now, I have to say, I knew these Gemaras many times before I saw Rav Weiss make the point. But again, once he, made, once he made the observation, it was obvious that the two texts are not exactly identical. But I have to admit, I think most people, including myself, didn't notice that until Rav Weiss pointed it out. And how does he capture the point? So in the middle of source number 11, he makes a very, I, I, the formulation is so powerful. He says there's a difference, in Hebrew it really works well. He says there's a difference between lahasos and lihios. There's a difference between doing And being, there are some people who do chesed, but they aren't baalei chesed. They're not giving people. Why are they doing chesed? For all sorts of reasons. They have a nice heart. Uh, The neighbors are doing it. There's peer pressure. Why not? But it's not in their kishkas to be a giving person. And then there's other people who are very like they're not faking it. They really are giving people until they have to give. Oh, that cause is so so important. It's really great that other people are helping out. There are lots of people, and again, each case is different, there can be also the complex reasons why. But both types of personalities exist. says Vashar as Weiss, but what you see from these sources is, they're both deficient. It's not enough to feel, you have to do, but it's also not enough just to do. It has to be the type of doing that transforms you. It's not enough just to be lasot, just to do, it has to be Leo. Our giving has to turn us into and that's what the Rambam was saying. When it comes to transforming ourselves, there's no substitute for repetition. The more we do for other people, the more lihiyot, the more giving we will be as people. A single big check is amazing for whoever received the check. But it's not going to make you a better person. If you gave $100 or a million dollars, the NRP, if it's to the shul, we need to talk about that very carefully. There's no limit to the amount of cover I could give you for that. Okay? <laughs> Whatever you need, we'll do it. But if it's about what can make you a better person, a million-dollar check is not a million times better than a one-dollar check. But a million one dollar checks will change who you are. Or a thousand or a hundred. That's the Rambam's point, and that's where Varsha Weiss is elaborating on that. Now I want to conclude in Chaval. There's so many sources, it's just impossible to do them justice in an hour, so we're not going to be able to do these last sources really, really inside. But I want to just make one final point which is contained in the sources for those who want to look at it on their own, and then I want to kind of wrap it all up. In source number 12, we go back to the Chavetz Chaim, and he has a very profound essay. The fact that I won't really be able to do it inside maybe means I can do it later, (laughs) maybe Pesach time, because he's actually talking about the, the, the Mitzrayim Pesach story. But he's quoting a medrash here. It's an amazing medrash. The medrash asks, in what merit were the Jews redeemed from Egypt? So if I asked any high school student, seminary yeshiva student, they'll tell me they didn't change their names, they didn't change their language, they didn't change their clothing, da da, da, da. And the medrash does make these points. But the medrash also makes the point, and the Chavetz Chaim, not me, the Chavetz Chaim, thinks that those are not the main things, even though that's what they teach you in school. They're missing the points of the Chavetz Chaim. The main thing is what the medrash also says, which is that they made... A bris shal chesed. They started the first gemachim in Mitzrayim. They looked around, they said, it's hopeless. Politics isn't going to work, diplomacy is not going to work, we need a miracle. What can we do to hopefully spur a miracle, says the Medrash? The people said, we're going to help each other. We'll do whatever we can to help each other. This is towards the end of source number 12, it's quoting from the Medrash they got together, they came up with an idea, Hiskimu Beinayim, that we're not just going to worry about ourselves. Karsu Bris Yachar, Ligmo Chesed Zeimze. And says the Chavetzhaim, at the end, that's what really tipped the scales. Imagine that. You're in the hell of Mitzrayim. Servitude, persecution, killing your children, backbreaking labor. You have nothing. And the, little, the nothing that I have, I'm going to give to somebody else if they need it more than me. It's one thing to do chesed when we have. But to have, to have nothing as they had in Mitzrayim. And they still said, now nah, we have to, as little as I have, there's someone who has it worse. That was the most, that was the most powerful thing. And what we see here, says the Chavetz is, the greatest skula, everyone wants skulas in 2021, right? So we run after all sorts of narishkeit and fake and fraudulent skulas. Says Chavetz you know what the greatest skula for Geula is? Give to other people. Chesed it'll make you a better person, and it'll make the Jewish people in a better situation. As the sources 13 and 14 talk about the, a school of kapara. We don't have karbanos anymore, says the Alvah of source number 13. How can we get forgiveness? Help other people. How do we avoid Gehenim, God forbid? Help other people, source number 14. Source number 15, the Medrash and Rasrabah. Let's read this one together. Source number 15 to end this year, and then I'm going to end with one story. But The last source you think you're doing a big favor by giving the tzedakah to that person at the door? You think you're doing a great favor by cutting a nice check to the shul? You think you The answer is, of course you are. But that shul or that ani did more for you than you did for them. Because this is what will make you a better person. It's the ultimate mother load of reward. <laughs> Says the medrash the greatest school for anything for your personal life or for the communal life of the jewish people help hashem's children do chesed. now why should this be so i think it's very simple when you're not around to help your kids and someone else helped them can you put into words how grateful you are to those people right? i i this came very much close to home to me when i was a when i was a kid i was also dorming but unlike my here where i can drive to shalom and take my son out for dinner I grew up in the Midwest, and I was in school in New York. If I had a bad day, my parents couldn't come. And I saw my parents a few times a year. But there were two families in particular who every Shabbos, every other week, I would go to them for Shabbos. And a few times a year, I would go back to Cincinnati for, for vacation. But at least one Shabbos a year, my parents would come to visit. I was on the basketball team. It was a big game. They'd always come for that weekend. And I'll never forget how grateful they were. And I saw it. I was 14, 15, 16 years old at the time. But I still remember it now. What I had for breakfast on Monday, I don't remember. But this I remember. Thirty years later, the hakaras hatov they had for the people who were there for me when they couldn't be—they they lived 600 miles away—and that's just one example that was burned into my brain. But it's true for all of us, right? It could be a kid in school, a particular—what t- greater feeling when you have a teacher who gets your child, who made a difference in the life of your child? Is there any more hakaras hatov you could possibly have for such a person? You would do anything for that person 10 years and 20 years from now. If kid, or it could be a random thing. A kid broke down on the side of the road and a stranger decided to help them. If you ever would meet that person, could you put into words how grateful you'd be to that person? So that's what you do when you do chesed. You're doing chesed for Hashem's children. You're helping Hashem's children. And just like we are a great Akhar Satov, to anyone who helps our, our children, can you put into words how Hashem feels about us when we help His children? And this is what I call the chesed boomerang the more you do for others, ultimately the more you're doing for yourself. You're developing yourself into a more refined person. You can help your Amuna. You can help your love for your fellow Jew. And all the good things we want in life, the greatest for any of them (coughs) is to open our hearts to think a little bit less about ourselves and to think more about other people. That is truly the gift of giving. We are giving to other people, but we have to realize in our heart of hearts Ultimately, the greatest beneficiary of the chesed that we do are the many, many benefits that we as individuals and we as community receive in merit of and direct relationship, correlation to that chesed. Thank you, everybody.